What's up, everyone? Welcome to the 243rd episode of the Pokemon Podcast. I am your host, SBJ. Forgot to say it's super effective. We got a really, really big show for you guys. But before we dive in, let me introduce everyone you've missed dearly. Starting first, we have Will. And I'm just a kahuna on a stroll to the Laguna. Took you two weeks to come up with that, eh? Uh, no, I just figured that out this morning. All right, all right. And your partner in crime, we have Travis returning. Yeah, if you listen really closely to the Alola mini-episodes, you can hear me screaming out corrections way oh. in the background. Me too, me too. How can you correct somebody's experiences through a game? No, I mean, I'm, sometimes things are incorrect. <laughs> I mean, I'm not correcting opinions. I'm correcting factual inaccuracies. All right. All right. Well, we'll get, we'll get to all that. We'll get to all that. Again, if first time us, us three, three of us, just the three of us, uh, this is the first time we've been together in about two weeks now. We had an episode just days before Sun and Moon came out, and then Travis and Will went into their respective corners to play Sun and Moon, and I uh, recorded with Micah and Irene, and we did a 13th. 13-episode mini-series called Alola from Pokemon Sun and Moon. I just want to give a big shout-out to them, and uh, mostly, one, for dealing with me and recording, because sometimes that can be uh, very difficult and stressful, as Travis and Will might admit off-air, and two, just the very fast schedule of trying to get the games fast enough, but also, or thoroughly enough, to take notes and try to remember and record session after session so a big shout out to them for doing that i hope they had a great time and thank you for everyone who uh, emailed in saying that they enjoyed the series or the series helped make the game more enjoyable for them those emails were awesome yeah i'm ready to give up my spot to irene i think she (laughs) does it better than me Before we get into things, if this is, again, your first time, if maybe you started on the miniseries and this is the first time you're listening to a, a, a quote-unquote real episode of It's Super Effective, uh, just lay out the game plan of how we normally do episodes. We do the introduction. Travis and Will usually have some pun that they spent a week thinking up. And then we usually... Oh, sp- don't, give, don't give me that much credit. I definitely think about it like 10 minutes before we start recording. <laughs> and then we usually spend... 10 to 15 minutes off topic, just talking about the week or something outside of Pokemon just to get that out of our system. It also helps you guys, our listeners, to help us help you guys get to know us better outside of the, oh, these guys just like Pokemon. And then we normally cover some Pokemon news. We usually take a break. We come back. We talk about a featured topic. This week's topic, obviously, going to be Sun and Moon. There will be spoilers. If you haven't finished the game, we're going to be putting everything everything before post game on the table today and then we normally wrap up the episode with pokemon of the week and if we have time we do some emails but again i think this is going to be a long show just because this is the first time you're going to be hearing impressions from will and travis and because we have so much to do i'm not even going to ask you guys how your week was we'll probably save that for next week again i think uh i think people are eager to hear our thoughts on sun and moon but let's Let's get some news out of the way first here. And let's start with some Pokemon Go news. The first bit of news is 
Ditto is now available in Pokemon Go. Ditto can now be caught in the wild. It will appear as another species of Pokemon, but will transform back when it is caught. Or when training at or challenging a gym, Ditto will copy the appearance, types, and moves the first Pokemon it sees, and it will stay that way throughout the remainder of the gym battle. And there is a video attached here on this press release to show you how Ditto works, but... I guess the question is, are you two still playing Pokemon Go? Uh, I kind of just stopped when Sun and Moon came out. I, I like Pokemon Go, but it's hard to play when it's very cold outside and when there's a more fully-fledged Pokemon game that I could be playing that doesn't require me to go out into the cold. And I kind of started playing it again when Sun and Moon came out so I could avoid all the spoilers that everybody were trying to throw in my face um, but I had a particular issue where I would start it up and none of the little uh, Pokestops and, and no Pokemon would spawn at all in my neighborhood. So that was a bit of a turnoff. Yeah. All of the Pokemon have left Washington, D.C. as a, <laughs> yeah. in a mass exodus. No surprises there. Uh, ever since they introduced the daily reward or like the streaks, uh, I try to do at least one Pokemon a day. And the one Pokestop a day, I didn't realize until yesterday those were totally different streaks. Yep. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to do that once a day. Uh, I, I think that's, I don't know, to agree with Travis here, it, it's gotten very cold in the Midwest, and it's very hard to, there's a very easy decision between let's play Sun and Moon inside where it's warm, or let's play Pokemon Go outside where it's freezing. Yeah, but it's, you know what's really funny is on my um, farmers only dating app when I start an interaction <laughs> with somebody, uh, I, they're always like, "Oh, what are you up to?" And I'm like, "Oh, I'm playing Pokemon." And they're like, "Pokemon Go?" And I said, "No, Pokemon Moon." And they're like, "What's that?" And I'm like, "Hmm, I guess it's not a match." <laughs> <laughs> That's when you swipe left, right? Uh, there's no swiping in farmers only. You just have to either seed the corn row or leave it fallow. <laughs> <laughs> Woo, um, Pokemon Go has undertaken two new partnerships in the United States. Uh, speaking of partners, Will, uh, there is either Starbucks or Sprint. A par as part of partnership with Starbucks, 7,800 company-operated Starbucks stores in the United States have been made into Pokestops and gyms. Additionally, Starbucks is selling a special edition Pokemon Go Frappuccino as part of this partnership. In Pokemon, the, the Pokemon Go Frappuccino starts with a vanilla bean Frappuccino blend beverage and topped with raspberry syrup blended with freeze-dried whole blackberries and a little bit of whipped cream. As part of the partnership with Sprint, 10,500 Sprint Boost Mobile and Sprint at Radio Shack. This is the real news right here that Radio Shack still exists. The stores will in the United States will become Pokestops and Gym. Sprint locations will feature in-store charging stations to allow Pokemon Go players to charge their devices. No comment from you guys. I, I can't even think of where there's a Radio Shack left or a Sprint store available to me. So yeah, I, I think they're a little late on that. I think it's interesting how long it took for sponsored Pokestops to be a thing. Because the game's been out for a while and seems like that's the... Like, I am 
con- I feel like I'm constantly telling people, no, there are still a lot of people playing Pokemon Go. It's just no longer are people who know nothing about Pokemon playing Pokemon Go. There's still a decent amount of people playing it. But I will admit that the amount of people playing Pokemon Go is a lot less than the amount that played at the game's launch. See, and yeah, like Will said, it feels a little too late, not only in the sense that Radio Shack is a thing that I thought didn't exist, but also in the <laughs> sense that um, the player base is a lot smaller and seems like they missed an opportunity there. Yeah, I just, as I was reading this, I checked the top charts on iTunes for the iTunes App Store for top grossing, and Pokemon Go is at number 10 out of all the apps in the App Store, so it is still doing well whether or not you guys are seeing people in the wild playing I uh, almost went to Starbucks. I just thought it was a... I, I get it, because not everywhere in the United States is freezing cold like Wisconsin is right now. But the last thing I wanted in 20-degree weather was a frozen blended drink. Yeah. That was kind of my, uh, I'll wait till it's a little warmer out. Do you get it? You just get the drink, right? It's just a special drink because of the game. It's not like you get a ditto because you ordered the drink. Yeah, it didn't right, sound like, like there's any bonus. I think you need to, though, I think, isn't there something where, like, spinning the Pokestop has a chance of getting you a free drink or something? Oh, really? Okay. I might, I might be wrong, but I thought that's how it worked. Because I passed the Starbucks, I was at a stoplight, by the way, so my, my stoplight was touching the Starbucks that I already knew was the one I was going to go to earlier, and it was a very long light, because I do not play Pokemon Go and Drive, so I did spin it. And I got way more items than I normally do. That's when I discovered that, oh, Pokestops are a different streak. Okay. Yeah. Let me get on that. But I'll report back next week. I promise within the next week I'll stop at a Starbucks and get you guys more information about this. Maybe I'll even stop at a Boost Mobile store and let you know how charging your phone goes. I'm, I doubt they're, they're doing anything special for that. But I would just be curious. Overall, the final thoughts are, are these, guys, are these sponsorships that you guys are okay with? Or is this something that you feel devalues the game at all? No, I don't think it devalues. I just think it's it's a little late and there should have been more. There should be more. Uh, more places, more variety, and, and more uniqueness to the sponsorships. And yeah, there's no Boost Mobile anywhere near my house. <laughs> I, I would say that at, in no point has Pokemon Go not been just to make a whole bunch of money. So I don't really see it as like a dark that this innocent application has taken a dark turn into the bowels of capitalism. As far as I'm concerned, that's where this thing was born. So it doesn't seem like that much of a change. (laughs) It came screaming out of the bowels of capitalism. Yeah. Adam Smith himself foretold of Pokemon Go. Well, I just hope when they start releasing like Gen 2 Pokemon that there will be more places that will have sponsorships and more unique things. You know you know what I would totally say? Make your buck, dudes. Have a Pokemon that is exclusive only showing up at a particular store. AT&T stores. That's your only pl- place you can get a Hoot Hoot. Well, you know what's funny is because I, I thought that's the, that, that is how they were originally going to do certain things. But like, oh, at Target you can only get... Politoed or something. I wonder if there's a target looking Pokemon. Like, I wonder what you would do for that. Like, does anything <laughs> have a target on? I guess Ursaring kind of looks like target. 
I mean, Target used to have that, like, white dog, but there's no really white dog Pokemon. I Maybe, no, Lillipup's more brown. Correct. Yeah, and the fur's longer. Yeah. Uh, switching gears to another Pokemon game, Empoleon is to be playable in Pokin Tournament. Polion has been announced as a new playable character for Pokin Tournament. It will be added to the arcade version in an update on December 15th. No details about the Wii U version have been revealed. Empoleon is the fourth fighter not presented in Wii U to be added to Pokin Tournament since the Wii U version uh, has been released. The following is Dark, Darkrai, Scizor, and Krogunk. We got a very angry email two weeks ago that we, when we, <laughs> when we last talked about Pokin Tournament, that we were all wrong and that all these Pokemon are in the Wii U version. And I think we all agreed that the Wii U version is not going to see an update because what are, what are they waiting for at this point? Oh, you know what they're I, waiting for is the Nintendo Switch, where they're going to come out with a new version of right. Pocket Tournament, and, that, and we're going to have to pay for it all over again. I, I completely agree with you, Will. I think that's that's kind of the game plan here. I still have never played Pokemon Tournament, so I have my opinion has no weight. So, for what that's worth, yeah, I I I don't know why they wouldn't like to me. If you want, if you want to keep playing the game you would have released these as they came out for like $4.99 a fighter. That gives enough people time to play that fighter, enough people to practice against other fighters using that fighter, and I don't see how they just release four fighters at this point when a new console is three months away, and we've already seen games like Mario Kart and Splatoon which are like versions 1.5 in, in the trailer because Mario Kart had King Boo playable and Splatoon had different outfits and stuff. So we know that there are different versions of that game for Switch. So to me, why don't we sell this game again, add these new fighters, maybe add a couple new things, and people will buy that for a new console that we are promoting instead of let's add four fighters to this old console that... Feels like no one is playing. I am sure there are people playing Pokemon Tournament, but it is not the it is not the tidal wave it once was when it came out, which really only that wave only really lasted like a week or two. But I don't yeah, know. That, I, was, that was nine months ago. Yeah, I like I said, I don't know what they're waiting for. Like if these fighters have been found in the Wii U version, but well, hello, anyone there? Yeah, the the only value for me in playing Pokemon Tournament was seeing the look of disappointment on your face when I would beat you, and you don't even play it anymore. So there it goes. Uh, on the Will, Will retired me. He is the better Pokemon Tournament player. <laughs> Let's finally talk about Pokemon Sun and Moon. Specifically, the music collection is now in iTunes. There's some good music in this game. <laughs> the- I'm still not going to buy it because I never buy the soundtracks for the games. But there is a lot of good music in Pokemon Sun and Moon. I was just going to say, I, I agree. I think there is a lot of good music in the game. And what um, what people should know is, what's hilarious to me, is that you play the games with the sound turned off, and then you buy the soundtrack and listen to the soundtrack in your car. You know, you could really save yourself a step. Who? Me? You, yes! <laughs> That's not true. I play with the sound very low. So yeah. I can... <laughs> and, and second... While the soundtracks are all on my phone, I don't want them to be on my phone. That was my complaint about the music oh. auto-playing in my car, which I don't want. 
the Pokemon Sun and Moon Super Music Collection is now available in iTunes. I'm pretty sure iTunes is the only place to get it digitally. I feel like there was some deal sign that we talked about months ago. It was also released as a physical album on the same day. The soundtrack contains all music from Pokemon Sun and Moon, 175 tracks and nine bonus tracks. Errors regarding the composers of these tracks are presented in the Japanese booklet and on iTunes. The physical album release in Japan also included 15 tracks that were originally released on Pokemon X and Pokemon Y Super Music Collection, which are not included in the international iTunes release. So how many of the tracks are called Trainer's Eyes Meet? Huh? No, I, if I opened my iTunes, it would take way too long, but <laughs> I'm sure there's like eight or nine. Is, uh, is, is, is it available as part of an Apple Music subscription? I'm pretty sure it is part of the Apple Music, but it is. It doesn't say here in the in the press release. But for those, it is a hundred. It is a hundred. It is a hundred dollars. No, it's nine ninety nine. At least in America, nine ninety nine in American dollars. Right. Yeah, the old USDs, as as they call it. All right, let's talk about the 2017 Pokemon Video Game Championships. The format has been revealed. There was a hot money down on the table debate here. And before we, we say who won or who lost that, let me read the rules. The official rules for the 2017 video game champion format have been revealed and are effective immediately. The basic rules are as followed. Double battles. Players may only use Pokemon in the Alola Pokedex. All legendary and mythical Pokemon are prohib- prohibited. Only Pokemon with a black cover. Clover, sorry, Clover, also known as the Alola symbol, may participate, meaning that Pokemon obtained in Generation 7 games can only be used. Pokemon transferred from previous generations cannot be used. All items except Megastones are permitted. 90-second team preview, 45-second turn limit, 10-minute player time. There is also a judge-enforced round of a time limit of 50 minutes for the best of three matches and 20 minutes for the best of one matches. All Pokemon are set to level 50, including Pokemon below level 50. For the full set of rules, please visit this document. To compare the changes of last year's rules, click on this link for the differences. A new feature in Pokemon Sun and Moon allows players to download rule sets, so players can down this rule set to practice in the 2000 VGC rules. This can be done in the Festival Plaza in the games, the 2017 VGC rules are the only ones available for download at the time. All right. So, Will, you lost that bet. I certainly did. <laughs> Will paid me. Did he pay you? He did. He did. He paid me when we were getting macaroni and cheese. I can't. I think he paid me in the hotel lobby, which is, lobby. I guess is revealing a little more about uh, the secret project we haven't announced, but. <laughs> Yeah, and notice the, how notice how I didn't say anything when he said we haven't been together in three weeks, and I was like, mm, "I'm keeping my mouth shut." <laughs> I meant together on the internet. <laughs> uh, so the the bet was for those not informed was I was very confident that this format would be very guardian deity based, and that these four guardian deities would be the the Landorus, Thunderous. What's the last one? Windorus. Tornadus. Tornadus. Uh, it will be the genies of this generation. And 
Will believed that they were banned, and Travis took my side, and we bet $10 over that. Currently going on right now is the European Video Game Championships, and there are, hate to say it, a lot of Guardian deities going around. A lot of Tapus. Tapu City. Uh, when I watched a little bit of it, I saw a lot of Tapu Lele, and I saw one Tapu Bulu. There's a ton of Tapu Lele, a ton of Tapu Coco, a lot of Tapu Bulu, not a lot of Tapu Finny, just because Misty Terrain isn't really as good as... You just want to talk about electric. that real quick? What is Misty Terrain? Sure. So um, all of these terrains were released, actually, as as moves in Gen 6. So Misty Terrain, Grassy Terrain, Electric Terrain. I think Psychic... I can't remember if Psychic Terrain is new or not, but I don't believe it is. They're released in Gen 6 as moves, um, and they're similar to moves like Trick Room or Gravity, these these moves that have um, terrain or, or background effects on the battlefield. Um, and they all have quite a decent list of things they do. So I happen to have open the the list of what Misty Terrain does. Um, it prevents Pokemon from being afflicted by non-volatile status conditions um, or yawn, it says. And so a non-volatile status condition is uh, anything other than like, oh, what's a good example? Oh, like infatuated. Um, and technically confused is also a non-volatile condition, but in Gen 7, they changed it so Pokemon can't be confused in Misty Terrain to just make it more complicated. But see, yeah, a non-volatile status condition is any status condition that does not get cured when the Pokemon switches out. So paralysis, sleep, poison, burn, freeze. Yep, I forgot that one. Uh, And then the other effect is that uh, it halves the damage taken uh, from dragon-type moves by any Pokemon affected by Misty Terrain. And, like, it also has these smaller effects, like Nature Power under Misty Terrain becomes Moonblast, Secret Power becomes Fairy Wind, Camouflage makes the Pokemon Fairy-type, but those those smaller effects tend to not be as important as the earlier effects I listed. And the reason you don't see a lot of, a lot of Tapu Fini, uh, which is the Pokemon that whose ability Misty Surge creates Misty Terrain is because it doesn't have any real effect on the damage output of Tapu Fini. It does, as I mentioned, have the damage of Dragon-type moves, but stuff like Tapu Coco uh, with, uh, with Electric Surge, that ability actually... So Electric Terrain actually increases the damage of Electric-type moves by 50%, which is really which is a lot considering that Tapu Koko already has stab on electric type moves. And it's kind of similar with, with grassy terrain too, with Tapu Bulu because that uh, boosts the power of grass type moves by 50%. And then psychic terrain from, from Tapu Fini increases the power of psychic moves by 50%. And each of them has like little side benefits that are very helpful, especially psychic terrain with Tapu Lele, uh, because it prevents any increased priority moves from connecting. And that counts very, very commonly used moves in doubles, like fake out. Uh, fake out is incredibly important in the doubles format because the ability to guarantee a flinch on one of the two Pokemon 
is uh, allows for predictions where you 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 think one Pokemon is going to protect, so you fake out the other one that's not protecting, and then neither of your opponents get a move off. You get some chip damage with fake out, and then your second Pokemon gets to get free damage in. So, um, so Psychic Terrain prevents these increased priority moves from occurring, and that also is relevant because a lot of um. But if you're faster, you would still go. You would still do fake out first. No, no, no. It fake out fails. So fake out. They use fake out, but it has no effect because. Oh, so protect no, would fail no too. Increase priority moves. Yep. Got it. Yeah. yeah I, and, I thought originally my my mistake. I thought that it went. It just got rid of the plus one priority. No, it, it completely prevents those moves from being used. I think protect might be. Uh, protect is is an exception. I think. Um, protect still goes off. So you're saying Aqua Jet would fail too? Correct. Okay. Um, and that's important because, um, and that's important because like a lot of the way people have combated Trick Room in the past is just relying on increased priority because even though, because Trick, Trick Room is that move that makes it for, so for a few turns, the slowest Pokemon goes first, goes first, fastest Pokemon goes last. A lot of people combat that by just including a few increased priority moves on their Pokemon because if you put it in the higher priority bracket, you're still going to go first even though you're the faster Pokemon in this flip-flopped speed bracket. But with Tapu Lele out and Trick Room up, there's no increased priority, so it's just the slowest Pokemon is going to go first. And Tapu Lele is also just a good Pokemon because a very, very strong Psychic and a very strong Moonblast or a very strong Dazzling Gleam are two good things. Yeah, kind of like a like a Espeon. Maybe no. Not, yeah, and an Espeon Sylveon. that can. Yeah, yeah, Sylveon that can that also has psychic typing and can increase its psychic type moves by fifty percent. So it's like, yeah, it's incredibly powerful. So I wonder if uh, a Gale Wings Brave Bird would also be affected by this terrain. That'll be interesting it, to find out. It would be. Yep. Just just because it has the increased priority. Yes. Mm. Uh, but but Gale Wings is different now because Gale Wings only triggers uh, now in Gen 7 and got nerfed, so it only works if the Pokemon is at full HP. So, like, Talonflame, for example, only gets increased priority on flying-type moves if it has 100% of its HP. Wow. Final question about these these terrains, Travis. Can yeah. If I put down a grassy terrain, can I also do Trick Room? Yes. Okay. If I put down a grassy terrain, can I also do rain dance? Yes. If I do a grassy terrain, can I trick room and rain dance? Yes. <laughs> I don't know enough if there's a fourth layer that I could add to that. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't think anything that's super relevant. You, you, oh, you could probably. I don't know if I don't know if grassy terrain would would stop gravity, but you might be able to do gravity in addition. <laughs> yeah, but you couldn't do a trick room and a magic room and a gravity. Correct. And a grassy yeah, terrain. right, right. Do you think this is that the possibility of this, especially with with if I sent out a Tapu Bulu and I sent out a, a Politoed, I'm getting both rain dance and grassy terrain right away. And I could then use one of those two Pokemon in Trick Room. I think Politoed can learn Trick Room, but for the sake of this argument, let's say Politoed learns Trick Room. Do you think that that is, that does that make competition fun or unique or healthy? Or do you think that's just makes the game complicated to the point where it's not enjoyable? Uh, 
I mean, my opinion is that when you're talking about competitive play, I tend to have fewer gripes than I do about just the single player experience about the complexity of the game because you're talking about the the top level of play anyway. You know, I, I've i talked on this show a lot about how I thought, even though fairy type is one of my favorite types of, types of Pokemon, I still think it was a poor choice to add a new type of Pokemon when the average player, and I would even put myself in this category, doesn't constantly have the knowledge of what every single type does, has, the effectiveness of every single type relationship. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily say that in the context of competitive battling because you're already talking about the people who are at the very top level of the game. Uh, I, so far, with my limited play of this format, I think it's kind of cool uh, because it causes a lot of, like, it's a lot of interesting choices where, you know, you expect an extreme speed from your opponent's Arcanine, so you swap into your Tapu Lele so that Psychic Terrain triggers and extreme speed fails. So it creates interesting strategic choices. I will also say that for as many times as, as I was able to pull things like that off, I also tried to use Fake Out under Psychic Terrain, uh, under my <laughs> own Psychic Terrain, or like, you know, uh, tried to put something asleep under Electric Terrain. So uh, I will say that, that the complexity has sometimes uh, tripped me up, but I think it's a decent change of pace. And I think that's what's more important about the health of competitive Pokemon is that each year of the season feels significantly different than the one before. Not so wildly different that no one feels like they can really learn from a previous season and do something new, but different enough that it's not feeling like, okay, I guess we're bringing the same six Pokemon we brought last year. Um, And I think the terrains are a good way to do that. We are seeing very different Pokemon, not only because a new game came out, but also because of of how these these like the new Pokemon change the meta and change which Pokemon are are viable because of it. Like, I, there's a lot more. I mean, Arcanine has never been that bad, but there but Arcanine Arcanine is sort of like a a B or like B plus Pokemon. It looks like so far, which. It probably would have been like a B minus or a C before. Um, so that's that's interesting to see. Uh, so, yeah, I, I like these changes. It does create some pretty complex scenarios where Trick Room and a Terrain are up or and like Tailwind is up too, uh, which can be a bit of a head scratcher. But once you get enough practice with it, I think it's fun to um, think about like, OK, this is the turn where Tailwind goes down, which means I'll finally be able to outspeed again. But also, this terrain is up, so like electric terrain is up, so I shouldn't use spore because it'll prevent sleep. So like, I think for me personally, having all of that information in my head and having mastery over that is an enjoyable experience, even though I am not yet at the point where I do have mastery over (laughs) all those mechanics. Good to know. Uh, Last bit of news here regarding competition in Sun and Moon is there is Pokemon Online competitions are returning. It's actually one going on right now as we record this. Uh, Sign-ups are still available. It is the Pokemon Sun and Moon with Battle, the Battle of Alola. It is the first tournament in the new games. Naturally, only the Pokemon permitted are the ones you found in Alola. Registration for this tournament has begun, so sign up today. Everyone who participates will receive 50 battle points in their game. What can we do with battle points? Uh, usually you buy stuff. 
Yep, you can buy. Usually, it's like it's held items, and you can get that at. I think there's BP shops both at Royal Avenue and the Battle Tree. Is fifty is fifty a lot though? Can get you like a damp rock. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, or uh, is that is it a rip claw that you need for old Sneasel? To Weavile. Uh, old... uh, I forget what that <laughs> item is called, but grip claw or something. Yeah. I'm just I'm just throwing that out there for the people who who might not normally sign up for these competitions like me. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's, it's a decent it'll save you some time uh, grinding through Royal Avenue or the Battle Tree. So Battle of Alola is kicking off a new era of online competitions. Create a team using only Pokemon found in Alola. The battles will be single and you will use three of your six Pokemon to enter. All Pokemon will be set for level 50. No items are allowed. I think that's like potions and stuff. Uh, sign up period is December 7th through December 15th. You must sign up in, in order to participate. You can only sign up once per PGL account. Competition will begin on Friday, December 16th and will last through Sunday, December 18th. 50,000 players uh, limited. First come, first serve. Uh, everyone will receive 50 battle points, but you must earn a place in the ranking by completing at least three battles uh ranking uh, results will be announced in december you can only use pokemon sun and moon you are allowed to use ash greninja same pokemon allowed they are allowed to include one special pokemon such as solgaleo or lunala doesn't look like you can have both you are only allowed to do 15 games a day and that's it that's it. I don't know if you two are participating uh, because as of this recording, that's in six days the first battles start, but you tell me. I don't have a team ready for that yet. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to get it. I'm I'm working on completing my Pokedex before I'm making any competitive teams, so I'm not really close enough to be able to do that. Yeah, I'm also working on completing my Pokedex before making a competitive team, but I might just do it just to see the teams that I encounter and to have a little fun, shenanigans fun. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I would just take my current team in, just do the three battles and just get the 50 points. Yeah, I mean, that might be worth it. Yeah, my current team is like Litten, uh, <laughs> Poplio. Well, it'll, be, it'll be a fast 50 points for you then. <laughs> Talk about working through the Pokedex, man. Oh, I'm having a hard time evolving some of these dudes. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that's uh, that's all we have for news. Uh, I'm sure there's there was plenty of news that we missed, but we have the rest of the year to tackle that. And uh, I don't know if we're going to get much more news in regards to things happening, especially with 2016 winding down. But again, if we miss some news or you want us to talk about something, you just shoot us an email. But uh, we'll probably get to any news missed next week. But for now, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to go in depth with Pokemon Sun and Moon.
And we are back from our break. Let's talk about some Pokemon Sun and Moon. Again, if you have, uh, if you haven't finished the game, I don't know what exactly is going to be on the table for our, for us to talk about, but I'm giving the spoil, a spoiler warning now. If you don't care about that, you know, no big deal, but where do you, where do you guys want to start? I, I did 13 episodes of my opinions as I played through the game. Some have changed, some have not. I've had time to think, of course, because while I was recording those, they were immediately after certain parts, or I might have played the game a little faster than everyone else, or maybe not at all. It took me 28 hours to beat the game, but where do you guys want to begin? So I think what I'd like is for Travis to tell me what made him happiest about the game, and then what made him most disappointed about the game, and then Mm. I, I can do the same thing, and then we can go from there. Oh, okay. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, sure. For me, I think that the main storyline is the most... So this is the good point. I think the main storyline is the strongest of any main series Pokemon game to date. I think the characters all make sense in in their actions. And I think they're... Am I allowed to say spoilery things? I figure people yeah, have listened yeah. to the... Yeah, so um, like Lily, for example... She has there are instances where they're like little dialogue hints that point at the larger story that you don't even know are happening until it pays off in the end. And typically Pokemon doesn't have that level of subtlety. But where Lily says early on in the game, she looks at you and how you're dressed and she says, oh, that's really cool. Do you dress yourself? Uh, You know, I just usually wear what my mom buys for me. And you just think it's like a throwaway line that's supposed to say like she's like not a not much of an individual, but then you get to the end of the game and you find out that, oh, actually her mom is incredibly important to the story and it's this abusive relationship and it's actually Lily's changing of her own clothes and picking her own look that coincides with her being able to conquer that or move, not necessarily move on from, but grow in spite of that abusive relationship when he gets, she gets to what she calls her full powered Z form. She, <laughs> dresses differently and she's more confident like little touches like that aren't really in pokemon prior to this and and that's true of like every character right like i think on the alola miniseries steve you you or micah or irene pointed out that all but one of gladion's pokemon evolve via friendship by the end of the game and they all do evolve and it shows that even though this guy is like he has this like tough exterior he really does love his Pokemon and he and he treats them as equal partners. And, and that says a lot about him, like these little touches in the main story, flesh out these characters to the point where I can really care about the arcs of these people in a way that sometimes when Pokemon isn't doing as great of a storyline, I, I don't feel that connection. I think in that way, Sun and Moon is similar to black and white because I feel like N's arc is very similar to Lily's and was fleshed out in a very similar way. But other than black and white and sun and moon, you don't get a lot of the like background details of, of why these characters act in the way that they do in the way that we got in sun and moon. So that's probably my favorite thing before you do your, your negative. I do want to comment on that. Yeah. I did 13 episodes, you know, 12 plus hours of the miniseries, And we, we talked about, a lot of things when it came to Sun and Moon. And 
we were in a position where when we were talking about certain things, we didn't know the whole story, obviously. Uh, like right now, yeah. like you and Will are talking as you know the whole story. So, you know, episode five, if I'm talking about Gladion, I didn't know in episode 11 that Gladion has his twist or whatever happened. But the biggest complaint that I got throughout the miniseries was you guys are taking the games way too seriously about specific topics. And they, lo- they would love to remind me that this is a kid's game and us talking about serious topics made it less enjoyable for them. But I do want to mention what Travis mentioned, which is the main storyline, which is about Lily and her abusive relationship with her mom. And I, I don't think we harped in on that enough because we, we focused on a different topic, which I think is equally as serious, but it was, you know, not the main storyline. But I just want to remind everyone that especially the people who wrote in and said that Pokemon isn't a serious game. I do think that that is, one, an extremely serious topic, and two, like, did did you miss that? Like, yeah, I get the Pokemon are kids games, but, like, did you all miss what the main, like, resolution slash story they were trying to tell was? Well, I would say that, so not not only are, are you making a, a good point in saying that, like, there is a lot of serious subject matter in this main storyline, more so than a, a lot of other Pokemon games, and not serious in the sense of like uh, just that it has that the end of the game has large stakes, as is the case with you know like generations six and three. At the end of the game, you're you're like preventing the destruction of the world or whatever, and that's serious inside the world of the game. But it's but Gen Seven and a few others, as you point out, have are dealing with very serious subject matter that are also serious in our real world. But I would even say that to have a serious discussion, having a serious discussion about something doesn't require that that thing itself take itself completely seriously. Like something that's just a kid's game or just a comedy or, or just trying to be silly. Even if something is just trying to be silly, that doesn't mean it can't have serious impacts on the people who play it a lot of my, you know, I, I have a film degree. So a lot of my favorite movies, the movies that have impacted me very personally also happen to be comedies that doesn't negate the powerful effect it has on me. Right. So just like, I still talk about Fargo or back to the future very seriously. And I also, even though they are both uh, comedies in their own ways, like they still impact me very seriously. So I think to say that, we shouldn't look at something seriously because it's a kid's game misses the point that media does impact us very strongly. And in cases where the impact or the message that it's transmitting might not be, might be like, might have some problems with it or might, or might mean something different things to different people and, and might inadvertently or advertently insult certain people. Like that's an important point to bring out and that's an important subject matter to talk about even if the game isn't taking it seriously it still has serious effects on the people who play it and i I agree 100 this is probably the darkest of all the pokemon games thematically just if you if you extrapolate one step backwards i can count at least four children children in this game who ran away from their parents that's that's not a joke that's scary. Yeah. And there's also a point in the game where a child's mother says, I hate you. Can <laughs> yeah, you yeah. imagine your mom saying to you when you're still young, I 
hate you. That is serious and that is damaging and that is not fun anymore. <laughs> yeah, even even the dad and the son, the little garbage, the garbage storyline, which is, you know, a whole two battles and some dialogue. Even You're talking about the Grimer dudes? Yeah, the Grimer dudes. Even that's that little side story, which is not important to the game at all. But it does fit in with the overall main story, which is how parents talk to their kids. And yeah, the dad was trying to teach his kid a lesson. I don't think that was the best approach to it. That was one of a couple little side things that did tie into the main story of just matching the main story's overall theme, which was like verbal abuse or child abuse or just how communication can fall apart whatever as aspect you want to take it's kind of a little of everything but well i think overall they, like there's an overall theme which if you if you think about it the, the where it starts from and the part that nobody thinks about is your mother and father are separated right that's that's why you've moved to alola because dad's not in the picture anymore so it's kind of like, how is your character responding to a troubled home? And then it's almost like a, a, a pastiche of, let me come across all of these other troubled homes and see how the children in those yeah. you know, homes are reacting and, and what the outcomes for them are as I travel through my journey. Definitely. Yeah. And, and in, in a way, that's what Pokemon, that, that, that theme has been in the veins of Pokemon from the beginning. Um, even in even in Gen three, where you do have canon like a canonical father who you meet in the game who isn't like a he's not like a deadbeat dad, like he's just a gym leader in another town. But even in Gen three, he's like far away. Um, you like keep seeing him on TV, but you but you don't really get to interact with him until you get to that gym. Like all of these games, your it's always your father is not is not there. And in most of the generations, that's just like a small thing that's added in. Could, you know, you could say it's, you could say it's nothing, but so many of these characters, like you said, are either people who they're like children away from their, their homes. They, they might not have parents uh, as, or they're estranged from them with characters like silver, blue or green, depending on which language you're speaking. Uh, so like the rival <laughs> character in gen one, he lives with his grandfather, like all of these characters and not that living with your grandfather constitutes a broken home. I don't mean to say that, but all of these, all of these characters live in like non-traditional households. And so that like theme has sort of been in the background, but I think you're right that it has never really come to fruition or that statement has never had a period or an exclamation point at the end of it until Gen 7, where we really explicitly explore that subject matter and i think it's really great that it does yeah yeah i agree i agree uh, even just because the story was serious and we're we're talking about it as being impactful or meaningful it doesn't mean that it takes away any enjoyment of the game like i am glad that they did that and i am glad that it is a conversation being had and if some people play the game and they didn't realize that or they're not having that conversation, that's fine, too. Like, that doesn't devalue your enjoyment of the game. But it's like somebody uh, and I'm not the I'm not the movie degree guy here, but <laughs> it's like how some movies do it for people and some don't. Like, I can watch Cars and 
walk out of that movie and go, that was one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Or I can watch Up and I can cry like a baby for the first 15 minutes of that movie. And Up is a very, Up is a good example of a kid's movie, but with a very serious thing. Yeah. At the beginning. And I think it's a very good comparison or a very easy comparison to make to say, oh, why'd you cry at Up? It's just a kid's movie. Uh, did we watch the same movie? Because <laughs> the first 15 of that move, 15 minutes of that movie is pretty brutal. Yeah. And maybe that's just because I'm at a point in life where, where that stuff means a lot more to me. And if you were to, if I was, if Gen 7 came out five years ago when I was first starting this podcast, uh, we probably wouldn't be having those conversations because I was at a different point in life. Interesting. And I, I, I do want to talk more about that, but. Travis, what was what was the part of the game you didn't like? To bring things from a very high overarching perspective to a very detail oriented one, I feel like this is a recurring frustration for me, and that's that a lot of the U- UI uh, like user interface advancements that we've seen in the past are gone, and it's back to things that are frustrating again and i'll give like four examples of that the first is that gen 6 had it down when it came to wireless or wi-fi connectivity the ability to just have that frame on the bottom screen where you have the row for friends the row for acquaintances and the row for passerbys was amazing sure there were things that were confusing about it at first like you might not look at it and not really know what the difference between a passerby and an acquaintance is, but after a few games, you figure that out, and it's very simple to just at any point in the game, tap over to that slide on the bottom screen, tap the person you want to trade or battle with, and do so. I think the Festival Plaza is okay, but the fact that you have to go into the main menu, slide over a slide to the second page of or no, I think it is on the first page, but still, open the main menu, go to the Festival Plaza, interrupting whatever action you were doing in the actual area, in, in Alola, essentially, uh, to teleport to this place. Then you have to click a separate Wi-Fi button, which isn't immediately recognizable. And it was similar in Gen 6 uh, in that sense, but um, I had a, a lot of people, more than I saw in Gen 6, a lot of my friends said, like, I don't get it, how do I... We're both looking to trade, but my friend isn't showing up and like one of them didn't hit the Wi-Fi button or one of them was trying to talk to the body of the person that they saw in the Festival Plaza instead of hitting the trade or battle button. Um, I think there are a lot of things with Festival Plaza that aren't immediately it, it doesn't telegraph how to use that functionality immediately. And once you get it, it's fine um, and it functions fine, but I don't think it's an immediately intuitive feature as it should be. And similarly, the fact that I still have to hold B to run after they already fixed that before in earlier games, whether it be the automatic run toggle in Heart, Gold, and Soul Silver, or the roller skates in X and Y, like, please, you fixed it before. (laughs) Stop making me hold B to run. There's like, I'm not playing Ico. I don't need to be holding a button the whole time I play. It's incredibly infuriating. Then uh, what were the other things? Oh, I didn't. I mean, this might just be me, but I think it's still indicative of some unclear UI choices. I didn't know until the until I had beaten the game that you can assign. Well, I knew that it, the possibility was there, but I didn't know how to assign 
uh, D-pad directions to Pokey Rides. Like when I went to the Pokey Ride menu by hitting Y, I saw that there were like a grayed out D-pad thing next to it, next to all the Pokey Rides. But the idea that that was a button that I had to touch on the touch screen wasn't really communicated to me. And I kept trying to like press left on the D-pad while hovering over Tauros, for example, thinking that's how or I was like trying to hold left to act to register Tauros to left. And I just never got it and gave yeah, up it was, on it. It wasn't, wasn't until I talked to someone later at all. Yeah, that you actually have to touch that button and then register it. Uh, and what was the other thing? Um, I agree with you with the, the running thing. The only thing that made that better or like a pass in my book was how fast I could summon Tauros. After the yeah, but then after even the on D-pad Toros, thing. you still have to roll. You still have to hold B to run. Yeah, How fast do you need to go? I mean, what well, still? I mean, if they're <laughs> going to have the function, like if you're going to no, give get me functionality to go very quickly, I am of course going to want to do that, especially after I've beaten the game and I have already explored this area. Right, I have already seen all of the scenery that this game has to show me. I don't need to be smelling the flowers every time I play. I just want to hatch my darn eggs. And the <laughs> idea that I have to be constantly holding B to do that, and there's no way to not do that, is really infuriating. And if they don't want me to go that fast, they shouldn't include that functionality because, of course, if I'm like hatching eggs, I am going to want to be going as fast as I can. And I think just in general, there are so many UI improvements about Sun and Moon. Pokey rides prevent the awkwardness of navigating through menus to activate HMs. Like that's great. It it cuts out so much bloat from the game. Um, and I just wish that that philosophy was applied universally instead of to a few specific things. And the game was actually, uh, intuitive and not tedious to play. And I love this. And, and every time I say anything I don't like about Pokemon, I get a whole bunch of tweets saying like, that's just a tiny thing. How dare you hate this game? Well, well welcome game, to my I world do have complaints about it. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. I, I have complaints too, but that doesn't take away the fact that this is probably my favorite Pokemon game. Yeah, it might be mine. It might be mine too, but it's it's tough to say without more time for hindsight that it right. might be my favorite. Totally, yeah, totally. it's definitely my favorite Pokemon game of 2016. Yes, yes. yeah. Uh, Will, Will, what's your favorite part, and what's your non-favorite part? So I want to just take one excuse out and say I agree. Festival Plaza is pure trash. I do understand why it was done that way, um, but still, I'm not happy with that implementation. So I'm going to not put that in as my not favorite part. Okay. I think my favorite thing, which uh, for every person that I talked to where I was like, have you started playing Sun and Moon yet? And like, if they were like, no, I was, I always said, well, the beginning of the game absolutely blew me away. The start of the game just, you know, blew my mind. The cutscenes uh, and stuff, the story setup. Well, the story setup, because for me, and I may be wrong, but this is just the way that it hit me. This is the first time that we've ever been presented with there's a reason why you are the important protagonist in this story. Where in previous games, it was kind of like, hey, I'm going for a stroll. And oh, wait, okay, I got my Pokemon. And now I'm going for a stroll. And now all these things are happening and accumulating over time as I go for my stroll. In this story, you start out and yes, it's like, oh, you know, go over to this area. But then it's like you actually perform a feat of bravery with your, you know, with your body, without Pokemon. 
on your own, you choose to go and protect Cosmog and protect it from the the Pokemon that are attacking it. Spiro. And, you know, you fall from the bridge and you still hold on to Cosmog. And yes, Tapu Koko you know, swings in and saves you. But it's like in that moment, you are identified as somebody who puts just is brave in, in, in and of yourself. And that sort of makes you know, identifies you as something special. And there's a reason why you are a protagonist in this game and not just some kid who happened to walk out his front door at the right time you know, and come across all these situations all, all along the line. Um, so I know that the, the beginning with all the cutscenes and the buildup and everything was kind of slow for a lot of people, but I think it really laid a much better groundwork for why you're going on this adventure than other games have. Uh, so that was definitely a huge plus for me and something I that really drew me into the game. I agree. Um, and and set, set it apart from other games. That's my plus. Yeah, I think I think that's a good point because Pokemon, at least in my opinion, has a tradition of having some pacing problems at the beginning of the game with its setup because often the setup is is boring and you've seen it a million times before. So it sets up the same thing in the same slow way. You meet the old guy at whatever route and you see this extremely. Oh, yeah. Sometimes it is a woman who teaches you how to catch a Pokemon. And you've seen it a million times before. And it's not really helpful to new players because it doesn't explain the mechanics well. Um, And you go through all these tedious things. And I think Sun and Moon cuts out a lot of those elements that are unnecessary and replaces them with actually interesting um, story content that doesn't really detract from the sense in which you're learning the ropes on that first island all right so my negative it's gonna it's kind of hard to say and especially since <laughs> since we've already received complaints about taking things too heavily and taking things too seriously but i have to say it this way i would rather and i'm gonna i'm gonna paraphrase this using some of steve's terms oh gosh i would rather this have been my story than Professor Kukui's story uh, in that if you really are paying attention to the not Ether Foundation part, you're just a minion of his to help <laughs> him accomplish his ultimate goal. And what I would also say, just and, and this may come from my experience of having lived in Hawaii and paying attention to Hawaiian culture and politics over the past 40 years, Professor Kukui is actually doing something quite wrong. He's a westernizing imperialist force destroying the native culture. He is giving in to imperial colonialism. There is absolute... What he says continually and repeatedly of why can't we be just as good as all of these other regions and have an elite four and have a champion... We should have a champion that's just as good as the world champions of other. Guess what, Kakui? You did. Your traditions and the traditions of Alola were perfectly fine, and they should be venerated and enjoyed and celebrated <laughs> for what they are. And you don't have to cast them aside because you think Japan, the way Japan does it, the way the United States does it, is better than your own culture, which you are throwing into the trash bin to try to replicate something that is not yours. And I'll even go one step further to say how, I I don't remember who it was who said it, but they were like, 
you know, I'm catching the tapus now at the end of the game because, you know, they, they become catchable. I'm catching them in Pokeballs. And weren't they protecting each island? <laughs> weren't said, they the guardians? Yeah, I said you, that. You said that, right? Yeah. Well, hey, guess what, Steve? Now that they their old culture and the old ways are being cast aside, the tapus aren't necessary anymore. We've got an elite four. They We've have got a, champion. a champion. We're just like Japan. We don't need our <laughs> old gods and our old ways anymore. So you know what? Put them in a Pokeball and treat them just like any other Pokemon. Use them out in battles. Don't let them have free will. Don't let them have independence. We don't respect them the same way that we used to. I find that absolutely disturbing because once again, you know, you say, oh, it's just a children's game. It's just for fun. You know what? If you don't think about it, you just accept, hey, we should just cast aside our unique cultures, values, and traditions and accept westernized overculture. And and everything Western and modern is better than what we had before. And that's that's not a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at least from my perspective. No, no. I mean, you make a great point. I, I did say in the mini series, one, what you said, I if we're catching the deities who's protecting these islands, which could be said that the elite four would do that and and maybe they do and maybe they don't to just expand on your point a bit yeah yeah yes kukui built the elite four and i guess to like be a little fair you would still battle the kahunas again at the end because that's how they did determine the champion you would battle all four kahunas and then you would be you know quote unquote champion and now they have formalized it or they've given into what the rest of the world does and make a, a facility for that. My, not complaint, my, what, I just want to know, like, what was that conversation with Kahili at the end and why was it her? And how did that conversation work where it was, all right, I've recruited you four, but hey, they're going to battle me last with Kukui. You know, you know where that conversation comes from? The fact, ooh, I'm going to get a lot of hate. <laughs> if you've been to Hawaii in the past 20 years, one of the huge issues that the, the actual people either of Hawaiian descent or people who have lived there as U.S. citizens for a long time face is that a lot of Japanese companies are buying up land in Hawaii and turning it into golf courses. And... To me, I was like, oh, of course you're going to have a golfer come in and be a strong Pokemon uh, trainer in, in the Alola region because that's what you think of Hawaii as just this, you know, <laughs> golf paradise. That in itself is a little, uh, woo. But, I mean, that's just me. That's just my opinion. That's how I took it. No, no, I think it's, even, it's fair. And I think even, so like, we're inevitably going to get the response you're taking it too seriously don't don't bring your politics into my pocket man which that perspective i think ignores the very profound impact that media does have on the people who play it uh but even even ignoring even like setting aside the specifically outside of the game impacts that it has on the players i think that that your point is still a, a critical point in regards to just the internal story of the game, because the beginning of the game up to the middle, like does all of this work to say like what Alola has going for it is unique and beautiful 
and com- like exceptionally valuable to the people who live there. Like no region before this has felt like its people connect to it in the way that people in Alola feel like they belong in that region. You know, like Sinnoh, I really like. I think Sinnoh is probably my favorite um, region in in Pokemon. That and I guess uh, Johto. But and they're in they're like little towns where you feel like oh these people really feel connected to this town or to this region. Um, but Alola as a whole is painted, I think, very well as a region where it's a region defined by its people, a region defined by its traditions, and the majority of the game goes very far to tell you that. And then it takes this weird left turn at the end where it says, but just kidding, those traditions aren't good enough because every Pokemon game needs to end with an Elite Four and and a champion. So even if you as a listener are like skeptical of the the points Will is making about the externalities of of Pokemon and its effect and and it's like and and the way it plays into narratives that impact people's lives in the actual world. Even if you're skeptical of that, I think it's hard to deny that it does internally take a strange left turn in and is a little bit self-defeating in that the game starts by telling you how important this culture is and then ends by changing it. And granted, it tries to change it in a way that's still uh, uniquely Alolan, like the Elite Four is two, two kahunas who are very, like, kahuna, well, the kahunas are very important. Yes. One trial captain, trial captains are very important. And then arguably it, it could be important to have, like, a, a a foreigner on the Elite Four because, like, Alola in general is very welcoming to for, foreigners with all of, like, the welcome centers and things. But even then, it's, like, even if you grant that caveat, like, it's still kind of strange that they couldn't do that in a way that doesn't require changing the the culture of the region. And also what's more disturbing to me, which is, you know, pure speculation on my part, but I have brought this up to a few people is as you go through all of the different towns, you'll notice that there is one unbuilt building in each town. There's like a patch of ground where they have some girders on the ground or it's just space where you know that something's going to be built. And I can imagine in a sequel that those are going to be gems. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be done with trials that that was just this one shot. And in the new, improved, modern Alola, they actually have Pokemon gems. And you actually go through and do a regular series of gems because all of those will have been built due to Kukui's grand dream of bringing Alola into the modern <laughs> era. I mean, I mean, not to deny Kikui's hot. He's well drawn, cartoon Agreed. character. <laughs> so, so I I I agree with with your points. I think they were very well said and well thought out and well spoken. I I want to play devil's advocate just for a second because what did stick out to me before I went into the Elite Four was when Kikui brought up his battle with Lance and how. A couple times in the game, but maybe it's it's easily forgotten because of how big the game is. Kui did go to Kanto, did do the gyms, did do the Elite Four, and I'm pretty sure he didn't beat the Elite Four because he he probably would have mentioned the champion he versed instead of Lance. So it seems like Lance well, he says he lost. He says he lost to Lance. Yeah, yeah, okay. And Lance and Lance was a 
was a champion in Gen Two. I don't. I can't remember if he says Lance was an Elite Four member or a champion at that point. But yeah, it does speak to his intentions of being a foreigner in another land and going through their system and that meaning something to him. I'm not saying that like, okay, when you get back, you need to change everything. But I I do think that there's weight to that argument of he was impacted by how Kanto did things and wanted to share that with others. Yeah. And I think, I think that that point is, is, is there with that one character but like no one else really seems like Hala is not like standing there talking about like, gosh, what we have here is 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 great, but we're really missing something. Like you don't get the the perspective from these other characters that they're really longing for the traditional elite four and champion system. Like they all seem pretty content and to find a lot of meaning out of the the grand trial system, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, it's it's very similar to Peter the Great's journey, you know, where he went as czar of Russia and traveled Europe and then came back and said, you know what, everybody, you have to cut off your beards because everybody in Europe, no, they don't wear beards. And that's going to make us a, a better country where possibly Russia would be a completely different place now if he had said, let's focus on improving our society in our own way and what works for us. Maybe there <laughs> wouldn't have been a communist revolution. That's true. That's going <laughs> That's going real far. Just, okay. Let's sandwich this with another good thought. Were there any new Pokemon that really stood out to you, uh, especially since we, oh, the three of us, uh, just the three of us, uh, the three just of us, the three of us. <laughs> uh, the three of us, we went quick, very quickly over the, the new Pokemon when they were leaked at that point. We didn't see those Pokemon in motion, and we didn't know their English names. I said this on the miniseries, but I was actually very excited to see uh, Salandit for the Sandal Sandlit as as Saland. I it's Salander. I know, it's but a I, I'm, I'm going to say Salamander Sandlit just to annoy a couple people that have picked that out. Uh, so when I saw Sandlit for the first time, I was extremely excited, even though I didn't think I would be several months ago. Uh, I thought that, oh, I've seen this Pokemon, I know what this Pokemon's about, Fire Poison, but actually encountering that, I got really excited, and then I caught a male one, and then sooner or later I figured out only females could evolve, and then I dumped it in my box and never touched it again. Yeah. I think with uh, uh, a couple other Pokemon, especially Toucanon, when I saw Toucanon's name, I couldn't help but smile and go, and like, look at Micah and Irene and go, now that's a good name, like that is a super good name. Most Pokemon have good name, but Toucanon is a really good name, and that was exciting in itself. So, for you guys, w uh, w was there anything that stood out Pokemon-wise that really excited you or made you look at a Pokemon in a different way? Well, I think Travis and I can both agree. Uh, Rebombi, best Pokemon of all time, period. is really great. Flabebe like is in the trash can. <laughs> Flabebe has had coffee grounds and eggshells thrown on top of it. In the garbage, nobody cares for Flabebe. We've got Rabombi now. It's still not my favorite Pokemon. My favorite Pokemon is still Piloswine, but Rabombi is definitely my favorite Gen 7 Pokemon. It's exceptionally cute. I love that it has a little ribbon scarf. It's got a little scarf. I'm making everybody Rabombi scarves for Christmas presents. <laughs> or Hanukkah. Or Kwanzaa. Or whatever you wish to celebrate. <laughs> Any other Pokemon that stood out? 
Uh, uh, Mimikyu is amazing as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was not expecting to even like or want or have anything to do with Shionotic, which you mispronounce so incredibly badly. I, uh, too many eyes. Yeah, but you kept you said Shitonic. It's Shionotic, like hypnotic, but Shionotic. How I I I I understood the pun. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I actually that dude carried me through the Elite Four <laughs> surprisingly enough, just because it has the uh, effect spore ability and then can spore and you moon know blast. has all those nice moon blasts and all that fairy stuff. It just like and it makes a really cute noise when it comes out of the Pokeball. Uh, yeah, so I like that a lot. I think this Pokemon might have been missed by some, but it is the evolution of more Morlul. 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 Yeah. So it's like a, mor- a Morel mushroom and a Shiitake mushroom. Um, so it's a Morlul and Shionotic. And it is a grass fairy Pokemon. I think the first grass fairy? The only grass fairy? Tapu Bulu is also grass fairy. Yeah, that doesn't count. Yeah, but Tapu Bulu doesn't have a cool hat. You got me there. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, uh, it was a cool Pokemon. I didn't think to also have it on my team, but I really wanted Fairy, and uh, I was missing Grass, so it just kind of made sense. What else? What did, what did you get, Travis? Oh, my! do you want me to should I just go through what my team was at the end? Sure. All right, so all of them were named after either NPCs that I've made in um, role-playing games, the tabletop role-playing games that I've run, or characters that I've played in role-playing games. Some of you might recommend a few of these names from our side podcast, Mythical. So my starter uh, was Rowlet, which evolved into a Decidueye, who's named Rick after a character I played in a modern setting uh, named Rick Strongjaw. Uh, my Alolan Raichu was named Wendy after the character I played in Mythical. My Rabambi, or sorry, my Alolan Persian was named Baruch after another character I played in Mythical. Oh no, I already went through that. So then my Rabambi was named Roland after an NPC I ran in a game with my friends. Uh, same with Tangerine, my Micro Brawler, which is an amazing Pokemon, also named after an NPC from the same game. Uh, Chrysaris I had for a while, which was my Smeargle. That's a character I've played in several games, uh, but I replaced Smeargle pretty quickly once I got Mimikyu, which I named Pestilence, which was a a, t- a, a, a tiefling uh, NPC that I ran once. Um, then, who am I missing? I'm missing... Um, is that... Hmm. I, think I think that's that, everybody. I think that was all of them. Yeah. I had... Uh... Incineroar, a Tucanon, a Palosand, a Kraballer, a Genotic, Gitonic, Gin and Tonic, and uh, what was the last one? Alolan Raichu. Those were my six. And I had Decidui, Rabambi, Genotic, uh, Alolan Golem. Oh, cool, cool. Aquarinid. Real quick, how did Alolan Golem work out for you? Uh, really well, and actually probably did the most work on that flying type <laughs> dude there, because, you know, he's electric and rock, yeah, so right, the flying right. types have a real hard time with that dude. Who was my six? Wait, wait, hold on. And you had the, you had the alien water bug, right? Yeah, Aquarinid. And how did that work out for you? 
that you know what because his ability it mm-hmm. reduces damage from fire and boosts water type moves <laughs> that makes him real good because you're you always think you're going into these fire situations and his bug typing is going to be a problem and then it's like well he's already making it just effective because he's got water typing and uh damage from fire is reduced so cool he's just holding out having a good old time <laughs> Who would, I always forget my sixth one. I had Ghostface, the Decidui, Aquarinid, Shenotic, Rabombi, Golem. Ooh. We can go back. Wow. No, I've got to get it. Mimikyu? No Mimikyu. I couldn't catch Mimikyu. I still haven't caught a Mimikyu. No Toucanon for you guys? Nah. No, no that thing's garbage. Oh my gosh. Toucanon's so great. Well, it'll be a mystery. It'll be a mystery. Until five minutes from now, and I'm just going to scream it out. <laughs> That's all right. What about the just overall thoughts on the trial system? How did that fare versus the, the gyms we've had for the past 20 years? I think it's a nice change of pace. I thought I missed the cool element that gyms have where they each have the interesting architectural puzzle element to them. In previous generations, I think the games were starting to get very good at that, especially in Gen 6, where you had these very grand, like, monolith, like, these these giant um, interiors that, uh, like, stunned you every time you walked into one, which didn't necessarily, you know, that feeling isn't really there when you're just walking into a cave or a grove or something like that. So I missed that element. But I think, in general, it was a nice change of pace to do something a little different. I think Totem Pokemon are very cool. I just wish my original non-XL 3DS uh, could handle Totem Pokemon. And part of it is because <laughs> I, have a, I have a bad... My SD card was kind of inexpensive. Um, but but still, that You had that the, like, the lowest really of low when it came to hardware. Yeah, so I was really seeing all of the ways I could stretch that experience to be as bad <laughs> as possible. Um, and it, And it was. Uh, and that would be a male Salandit. Oh, right, right. Because I, because of the miniseries, right, is when you figured out females could only evolve. No, it's when we were all in a room together and I asked oh, the question. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, when we were together. Okay. Uh, Will, what, what, Will, what was your thoughts on the, the trial system? Uh, no, I like that. I liked that it was different. And I liked that, you know, each trial had the character i think even more so than the gyms each trial had the character of the trial captain reflected in the trial so you know you had the water trial and it was the joker captain and she was like playing jokes on you and everything and "Ah, i tricked you into being in the trial and the grass trial where it was like we're gonna do cooking and make cooking ingredients and then do a very inappropriately suggestive Ceremony of making poi is the dish that you would make. <laughs> poi is pounded uh, uh, root vegetable. That's a Hawaiian traditional dish. You know, but but each child like reflected the the captain's personality in a way. Yeah, I know gyms were supposed to, but these like really really did. Um, even to the point where it's like the fairy trial was. Oh, you know, whatever you want it to be. You know, you you've just come through the vast pony canyon. Let that be the trial, and and here you go. So, yeah, I, I definitely like that change and and wish that the games would think more creatively on, you know, how you're gauging progression. You, you know what's noticeable also? The only time somebody says to you, 
Pokemon of XX level will obey you without question now is the first trial. And it's hmm. not like you the used first to have grand the trial. That, well, sure. But yeah, no, you, you never hear that again. Yeah. Right. When you when you do beat grand trials and you go into your book, it does have like the Pokemon level 50 will obey you. What book? Your little your little trainer hand your your trainer ID. Yeah, because uh, when you when you get the first one where it says Pokemon of level thirty five will obey you that you get after Hala, uh, it like stamps in some book, and yeah, that's like near your trainer ID. But if you go back and I think when you beat Olivia, it'll say Pokemon of level fifty. Like you can flip through the pages and there's multiple places for stamps. Dag, I never went back to the trainer passport, is what it's called. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> never went that to, back to that. Uh-uh. I don't know why I even went there to begin with. I think I was just trying to change my profile picture. No, I, yeah, never bothered to look at that. Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I liked it, and I liked, you know, the, the things that you picked out, which if people haven't listened to the miniseries, I, one thing you forgot to mention, right, was, yes, uh, going into Poe Town is a trial, and when you enter Poe Town, you there's the two grunts that are at the barbacle. I mean barricade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can we agree that um I just was reminded of Barbaracle again. Can we agree that that is the worst Pokemon? Like I used to say Lucario was the worst Pokemon, and then I was reminded <laughs> by the Gen 6 monstrosity that is Barbarical, and that thing terrifies me and haunts my sleep every time uh, I see it. If you've seen it in the cartoon, it's really cute. Uh, the cartoon doesn't count. What counts is the fact that it's a weird thing with like hands all over it and multiple eyes. Oh uh, Well, we're having multiple conversations here, because one, the cartoon counts, because Gen 7 references Ash like probably three or four times. Beware is very good in the anime, <laughs> and I wouldn't have liked Beware if I didn't see the anime. Yes, yes. So you got me there. That right, is true. To finish my statement, the <laughs> barricade yes. that the two grunts are, are guarding is a trial gate. Yes. So when you yeah, they mentioned that. that yeah, we mentioned that. Oh, did you? Okay. okay. We didn't mention that until like episode. So like, sit down, Will. We didn't mention I that. <laughs> I haven't finished the last episode. I, it might have been the last episode where I was like, oh, just to go back and circle back on, because you're right, at the time... I didn't realize it when I was like investigating and looking up stuff. And then when Irene went through it, I was like, oh, like now I see it. There it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Poe Town is like the the eighth trial. And I thought it was really special that the, the last trial you do is the very first trial that was ever made in Alola. I thought that was interesting. Which I also found hilarious just to make one more comment about your miniseries where you guys were like, oh, this is so much like Ilima's trial. And you know what? They actually literally said that three times as you're approaching that last trial. <laughs> Isn't this so much like Ilima's trial? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Those those two caves took a lot out of me. Like they were oh. probably the low point of the whole game. Bass Pony Canyon is is the victory road of of this game and that, it, it absolutely it totally would have been fine if they weren't just back to back that was the part that really and then not only were these two caves back to back you have to like go through that little mini ice cave no was that like right before the elite four like there was a third cave or was that there's so many caves i can't remember what was what, <laughs> well i mean vast pony canyon in general is this extremely long uh marathon of of an experience because basically anywhere a random encounter can happen at any time. Um, and I, like I always say that the 
like the worst thing that Pokemon does generation after generation is include is is to have its locations where random encounters are in no way avoidable to have the Pokemon in those areas be the diversity of Pokemon be incredibly limited. So the fact that you go through like places like Resolution Cave and I can't remember the diversity in Vast Pony Canyon, but uh, like a lot of these caves are just Golbat and Dugtrio. And it, it seems to me like an objectively bad decision to accompany the place where r- random encounters can only be avoided by repels with very repetitive and tedious random like pokemon like yeah i don't know why they do it time and time again i realize it's supposed to be like a challenge or whatever but at least make those challenges interesting by giving me different pokemon to look at my the reason they do it is to make you spend money on max repels well yep that that's not using a repel is not the problem the problem is that every route in this game is extremely short and i think that that bettered the game overall agreed and then you get to an extremely long route which is the cave which i have that's fine like i remember the first time i went through mount moon between pewart city and cerulean Pewter, but yeah, yeah sure <laughs> and cerulean i remember that being an accomplishment of like i'm finally through here we are in the next town, like that memory sticks with me. So I have no problem with a long cave sequence. My problem is you have these extremely short routes early on with a variety of Pokemon. And now I get to Vast Pony Canyon, which is an extremely long route with only two or three different Pokemon. And my problem is I've never been here before, so I don't want to use a max repel because I don't want to miss any Pokemon. There's been such a variety in these small routes that I would have expected the same variety in a bigger route or even more variety in a bigger route. And it wasn't until I was almost done with the route where I've already lost enjoyment because... You're you're right. I could have done a max repel, but I didn't know what I was expecting. So yes, in the future, anytime I go through Vast Pony Canyon, which is hopefully never, I will be bringing max repels. And you do get some more variety. I think it's near the end of the whole endeavor because that's where you get like Murkrow and I think Jangmao. Uh, but still, like there's a lot of caves that accompany that canyon. I think two kind of long ones. And if memory serves, it's mostly just Golbat and Dugtrio. And it's not like those You're two correct. Pokemon were exclusive to that cave. Like, I already had them prior to that point. Yeah. So that's... Well, let's let's give Vast Pony Canyon a little bit of respect that the only way you can get a Vikavolt is to evolve it in there. That's true. Cool. <laughs> the only way you can evolve Kraballer is as soon as you beat Gladion at the bottom of... Your Kraballer evolves. <laughs> I haven't gotten that far in my Pokedex yet. All right. All right. There's uh, one thing I want. We, we've talked about a lot. There's so much more we can talk about. We talked about a lot of negatives. I just want to get one more negative off the table. Uh, just so when we go into future episodes, uh, it's been addressed and it's not this elephant in the room. I talked about this earlier, but the biggest complaint we got from the miniseries was how much time we spent on Team Skull. I was very vocal about my opinions on Team Skull, even though I think those were lost. So I will reiterate them real quick. I think Team Skull is the best bad guy team Pokemon has ever made. I also 
think that Team Skull has a lot of problems with how it conveys itself and how that can be problematic for certain types of people. I made a mistake by putting that on Irene. Irene being a black woman of... of Being a black woman. I don't know. I almost said black woman of color. (laughs) Irene being a black woman. I knew... The moment I saw Team Skull and the moment they acted months ago that this would be a problem for her. And that's, I don't, I don't want to say that's okay, but like, I knew what to expect. And I knew she would have things to say about that. And I believed that she could have said those things better than I could. I think there was some confusion there. Uh, I think I wanted to clear that up because the emails that we got, and it wasn't many, but we had two types of emails. We had emails writing in how much they loved the series how much they loved micah and irene and then we got emails that specifically said not only do they not like irene they didn't like irene kept bringing up team skull and i want to be clear that micah and i were in agreement with irene the entire time and we and there was a lot of people on slack that were in agreement and the episode that we really harped on which i think was episode nine That episode took us five hours to record, and there's only 40 minutes to show for it because we wanted to make sure we said the right things. And I wish I was exaggerating, but it it took five hours. It was like, I don't know how I had the time in the week to do everything I did, knowing that that episode took almost a fourth of my day. Well, and you know what? I I, to counterpoint two things there. One, uh, I don't think Irene kept bringing up Team Skull. Yeah, you kept bringing up Team Skull and then making her react to it. So that's one thing that was that was poor editing, though. All right. All right. So one other thing I want to say, which I don't want people to take this as me putting words in Irene's mouth. But this is one thing that I think she was trying to get across and she was having a little bit of difficulty in expressing clearly. And and I'm just going to say it very plainly from from my perspective. Team Skull in a way, is a reflection of certain tropes that have been inherited from Black culture, especially Black culture of the 80s, hip-hop culture, which a lot of you folks have not experienced, but, you know, I was around at the beginning of the times when R&B and hip-hop were becoming more notable, um, and a lot of people refer to that as urban culture as well. And one of the important points to notice is you have the characters that are urban hip hop culture and the town that they live in is gross and destroyed and not taken care of. And the immediate equation that people who don't think more deeply about it make is that is the way that these people live. They want to live this way and they've made it that way. And that is dangerous. That is not something that is true in any way, and you don't, you shouldn't be reflecting that in a children's game because you're reinforcing that stereotype that these people live this way because they want to live this way and they don't know how to live any other way. And you've already made a direct relationship to they are reflecting in some way black culture, and that's 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 not good. Yes, and to circle back to the point we had at the beginning of the episode, it it was funny because we just got a one-star review for uh, quote-unquote beating a dead horse, which is Team Skull, and keep bringing back up this issue. But again, what we said at the beginning of the episode is the complaints towards Team Skull was, this is just a children's game. Like, 
you guys are taking Team Skull way too seriously. Like, you're, you guys are wrong about this. And one, no, we're not wrong. And, and two, again, did you, everyone who's complaining, did you miss the overall story about verbal abuse and communication? And that is another serious topic along with Team Skull. And it is okay for these games to be serious. It is okay for a movie like Up to be serious, but still be an enjoyable kids movie. Well, I would just say one of the responses that I personally saw sometimes on, on Twitter and places like that um, is people saying, you're, you're missing the point because this isn't talking about black youth culture. This is talking about the uh, b-boy scene in Japan or Korea. Like This is talking about youth culture in Japan that's very similar. I think they're well. I guess it should be said. I am in complete agreement with everyone else on, on the show. You're not going to get any disagreements from me. Um, and and I would have two responses to this counter argument that we are mislabeling this as having its origins in black culture when, according to the argument, it actually has. It's actually talking about you know East Asian youth culture. Um, the first argument I would say is that hip hop, b boying. Like all of these things, they hip hop comes out of black youth culture in America and then is, you know, with its roots in like African music and things um, and then gets globalized, which is then where these like East Asian cultural youth movements that I think it is clear that that Team Skull is is talking about like youth in Japan or and that sort of thing, given that it's a Japanese game, those culture those youth cultures still have their roots in black youth culture so so i don't think necessarily saying like we're missing the point about who this is talking about is is really that strong of an argument when um you know hip-hop b-boying they don't they don't come from japan i guess i'll just put it that way um that those are elements that japanese youth youth culture adopted from and like b-boying is like black and puerto rican youth culture if i understand it correctly um, and then hip hop culture comes out of black youth culture in the States. So like, these are things that were adopted from the very culture that Will was just talking about. Um, so I don't think that's a very strong counter argument. Um, and then I would say that even if we're going to buy that argument, um, even if you don't think my answer to that argument is strong and you're saying, you know, no, this, this has no, in the context of Japan, this isn't doing what you think it's doing. Even if we're going to buy that argument, which I don't think we should. But even if we do, I think it still ends up being a fault of the localization team to not try to rectify that in any significant way. This game was localized in a way that these characters still bring, still use, uh, frankly, like outdated uh, references to like African American vernacular English. They still move in a way that evokes hip hop that clearly, to a Western audience, is going to scream hip hop culture or youth culture, or when you get to Potown, like gang culture, uh, which equating those two things as, is um, a false equivalency to begin with. Like, it's pretty clear what those movements, what those speech patterns mean to a Western audience. Even if they mean something different to a Japanese audience, I think it should be the duty of a localization team to make sure that things don't get miscommunicated. And things were miscommunicated here if it's truly a miscommunication, which I don't necessarily think. But even if we're going to buy the counter argument that, that the game isn't actually talking about black culture, 
the localization team should have made darn sure that it doesn't seem like that. And it really does seem like that to anyone I talk to, like any Western person is going to see that and either think like, you know, a lot of people uh, see it and think like, oh, that sort of reminds me of like skating culture or it looks like juggalos or something like that. But I think the more common reaction is to say, oh, these are like hip hop kids. And that has a certain history that comes along with that. And I think it's a failure of the localization team to not change the way they speak to more clearly indicate what they were trying to do if they were trying to do something different. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, I think actually one of the core flaws that we will always have in Pokemon, or at least we'll have unless there's some real drastic change in the development and creation of these games, is they, and it's really hard to find the right words to say this, they present a very Japanese view of culture and society, but we don't necessarily notice which are the parts that are a reflection of Japanese culture and society. So one thing that always sticks out to me since he said this was, you know, our friend Andrew, who lives in Japan, um, when we were talking about the Pokemon Generations episodes, and he said, oh, yeah, the Team Rocket grunts were shown as kind of having really bad posture and like they were walking in that weird kind of like where they weren't standing up straight mode because people believe in Japan that if you have poor posture, you're a bad person. So, you know, then we have those things in the games where, you know, you have the whatever that the the if you notice, there are some characters who are literally always walking around with slouched shoulders like Uncle Nanu. And the what's intended there is he is a bad person. He he has he has failed. He's he's not doing well. And to a Japanese person, that'll stick out right away, like a bright light, because they recognize that, oh, culturally, we believe that characters who act in this way are bad characters. It's a trope for us. But for the American audience, that's completely invisible. That leads us to want to fill in that blank with our own cultural assumptions, just kind of carrying on from that. If I was living in Tokyo, I might pass some East Asian b-boys every day as I go to work and just, you know, people who are dressing up and they're kind of like just doing it to do dress up cultural appropriation on their own way. But you know what? Living in Washington, D.C., I don't I don't pass people like that. I don't see people dressing up and acting like that. So what kind of blanks do I have to fill in? I'm thinking uh, Crips and Bloods and folks in L.A. and, and you know, those L.A. gangs and everything, because that's my historical experience with people who are going to dress up and put bandanas on their heads and and stuff like act in a gang like way. And that immediately becomes a negative. Yeah. So that's that's just always a problem that the Pokemon games are going to have because they can't see the cultural blind spots that they're presenting to the international audience. Right. Totally. And it's, it's it, it can be very difficult or daunting to make a game that appeals to everyone without triggering something emotionally one way or the other. I do want to say, and again, I don't want to put words in Irene's mouth, but I think this point was also, this point might have also been lost, which was it's okay to like things, but to also point out and not like a certain part of the thing you like. It's not the best approach to something, but it's totally acceptable. And what I mean by that is Irene loved Gen 7. She's still playing it. She plays it every day, uh, way more than I do. 
and her only real gripe was with it was was how Team Skull was shown and characterized. And another example of that is, I think a lot of our listeners probably know by now that I am a huge Simpsons fan. I love The Simpsons. I think it's one of the best shows on TV, something I watch one or two episodes every night before I go to bed. I love The Simpsons. But out of the 600 plus episode, episodes of The Simpsons, uh, they do from time to time rely and or make suicide jokes. And I don't think that joking about suicide is funny and i think that they take the place of what could be a smarter and funnier joke does that mean out of the you know a hundred some suicide jokes in the 600 episode of the simpsons and it's just uh just making a broad statement there does that mean i shouldn't like the simpsons or that the simpsons is bad uh no not at all but i think a lot of times people get in this mindset of well, I like The Simpsons so much, so this joke, this joke's not bad, because that would make me bad, because I liked it, but The Simpsons is good, and I like The Simpsons, so that makes the joke okay. And I think the reality is, no, it's still not okay. You can still like something, and that that something can still do something bad, and it's okay to acknowledge that. Uh, the problem comes in when people hide behind that, because they truly believe that because they like it, it can't possibly be bad. And I think that was, that's something that uh, we didn't elaborate on good enough. Uh, and I, I, the same goes for something like Seinfeld. Like, I love Seinfeld. I'll make a lot of Seinfeld references. But there are episodes of, the, of Seinfeld that are just so cringeworthy and just don't hold up. And the jokes aren't funny. And they might have been funny in... In the 90s, or... Uh, no, no, they weren't. <laughs> I, I was there. <laughs> but yeah, and, and that's okay. Like, there are certain episodes of Seinfeld I completely skip because I don't think they're funny. And I don't think the jokes that they were trying to tell were, was good. But somebody in my sh- somebody who loves Seinfeld would possibly defend that, and I don't think that's the right thing to do. Again, it's okay to like something and not like a certain part of it. I don't know if, if that point made any sense. Yes. What what you want to say is it is okay to like something. It is equally important that while you're enjoying it to be critically aware of the issues that it may present and recognize them and address them as you are enjoying it. I enjoy playing Pokemon. I recognize there are problems with Team Skull and there are this is a very dark game and it makes you want to think about your own familiar relationships. But you know what? I'm still out there completing the Pokedex and catching my Pokemons and thinking of my VGC 2017 team building. So <laughs> I got I got both and it's OK to have both. Yeah, I think I'll think anything, any media we consume is so uncomplicated or so straightforward that something is completely 100 percent good. And the effects that it has on the people who play it are 100 percent positive. Um, there's nothing like that that exists. And I think it's part of the duty of people who comment on media, as we do on this podcast, to out the things that you know, I think it's important that we say this this part of the game might be disappointing to people of color. Like, the service we provide to the show is not only it's important that we that we acknowledge that that different people might have different experiences. I love these games to bit, but in the same way that I'll complain about the UI at the top of the show might make some people feel bad in a way that's not okay and a young kid's impression of what different types of people are like and i think that's important for us to point out even if like even if you disagree with our with our perspective it's i I think you can't deny that 
it's kind of our job to point out those things when we see them. Yeah, I I wouldn't say it would be a boring podcast if we didn't point them out, but I think that they are important to talk about, and I think that our community enjoys that for the most part. <laughs> I think they like when we argue. Uh, I think they like when we touch on serious things and, and when we just goof off. When it comes down to this show, I think it, it really focuses on our character and our opinions and trying to make you laugh, but at the same time trying to make you think. And we, we exist to hopefully make your car ride enjoyable or your run enjoyable or to make your, you know, however you're consuming this podcast enjoyable. If we touch on a serious topic and you don't agree with that, that's that's fine. That's okay. You know, feel free to write us an email and we can address it or talk about it. Um, and if you do agree with it, and and that is a jumping off point to have a conversation with your friends, then I feel like we've accomplished something there. I guess I'm in a position where I'm always trying to better myself, and I don't think I was in that position years ago. And if if Red and Blue came out today, we'd probably be talking about the whips that Team Rocket uses uh, in their sprite animation. Because I don't think that's the that would have been the right thing at the time. But, you know, when I was a 12-year-old kid, I didn't think anything of it. And so now that we are in this, not age, because I don't think age matters, but now that we are in this mindset of looking at things a little more critically, I think that's what the show that's what the show can bring up and what does bring up from time to time and that's really why like travis and will are here with me is because like i feel like all three of us love pokemon so much but we also love pokemon for different things and also we've all had our own experiences outside of pokemon and i think there's a lot of value to that yeah so one thing i'd like to throw on that is you know i i know we get a lot from a lot of our listeners that they enjoy listening to us like we're a bunch of friends talking to them, right? And that's why they enjoy the conversation that we're having because it's like they're having a conversation with their friends. And part of that is assuming that, oh, hey, these are a bunch of people who are just like me. And they think along, you know, we all like Pokemon. We're all the same. But keep in mind, you know, and, and sometimes we've gotten complaints about this, but I'll, I'll be clear, right? I'm a minority. And every day that I wake up of my life, I'm waking up a minority. I will, it, that will never change. Maybe people don't realize that off the bat or all the time right away, right? But I have to live my life as a minority. And if it makes you uncomfortable to learn about the world from a minority perspective and kind of be sort of forced to look at things and that makes you uncomfortable, I'd rather you be uncomfortable than you be complacent because I don't get to live any other way. So that's just my point of view. Yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, with me dating Irene, I think that alone opened my eyes to a lot of things prior to that. And we could, I, I could go on and on, but I don't want to do that, say, mostly because uh, we're out of time. I was, <laughs> I was, I was going to give you Pokemon of the Week, but Travis is breaking up a little bit, and we were... So I'll just lay out Pokemon of the Week and how it's changing uh, for the future. So I think what Travis does now is in our Slack group, uh, he has a Pokemon of the Week channel. And he usually has been requesting movesets or people's opinions for that. And I think that works extremely well. And that was 100% Travis. 
and I enjoy I enjoy what he's doing with that, and I hope that continues. Uh, we were we were having trouble picking a Pokemon prior to this episode because I was trying to pick a Pokemon that was recently used in the current VGC format uh, that wasn't a gen- Generation Seven Pokemon. So, like a generation like like Slowbro or you know Primeape would be good examples because they're catchable and we know what they can do based off of how they performed in the past. So that's what that's what kind of that's what. I was looking for in a Pokemon, and we were going to do Gudra because I saw Gudra being used, but we don't have move sets or anything. We don't have any talking points for what those Pokemon were using at the time, and we're probably not going to get those move sets until later tonight. Uh, so the so we do want to focus on picking more Pokemon uh, for Pokemon of the Week that are based on actual Pokemon that can be competing because I know for one that Travis does plan on competing. I think Will does too. And so we do want to at least be a pretty decent resource for that at the end of the show. The other change is Travis normally builds movesets in uh, a singles team. And I am challenging Travis to open that up to doubles because doubles is the format being used for VGCs. So, uh, in the future, not only do we plan on picking Pokemon that should be able to be used competitively in VGC's 2017, but we'll also have movesets that would reflect double battles in in hopes of helping others and encouraging others to get into the competition a little bit easier. Uh, and, And hopefully our Slack community, uh, well, I not hopefully, I do know that they are they are helping each other make teams and breeding, and they are all very fantastic. So, I don't know if Travis is still breaking up, but is that a fair uh, uh, is that a fair view of how Pokemon of the Week is changing? I can can I can certainly uh, confirm that my connection is still bad, uh, and <laughs> I think that's and I'm and I am excited for um, the I'm excited to do doubles because I mean doubles is what I like. I've always liked more. I would say I'm worse at doubles, even though I like doubles more. So I think that's sort of why I leaned pretty heavily on singles because, I mean, y'all already know how bad I am at singles, given the garbage that I recommend. But you're about to see some really bad recommendations. But <laughs> like like Steve said, uh, we're going to be basing it on sets that we see from like the actual VGC tournaments. So at least the sets will be okay, even if my analysis isn't. Right. Yeah, it, it, I think I think Will and I can speak to it at least in the TZG sense. It's one thing to be given a deck list. It's another thing to understand and actually play the deck. Oh, oh yeah. Somebody can give you the best airplane in the world, but if you're not a pilot, you ain't gonna fly it. Right. Right. So that that's really where Travis is coming from with the move sets. Is uh, they might not be a hundred percent original moves, but we're gonna break. Hopefully, uh, we're gonna be able to break down when to use moves, why to use moves, maybe even the point of, hey, if you have a Lolan Raichu, you should maybe partner with this Pokemon or this Pokemon or this Pokemon. So that's really our goal with the with the new way of how Pokemon of the week should work. So apologies that there was none this week. Uh, I know we covered a lot. Uh, hopefully we got all the negativity off the table uh, when it comes to Pokemon Sun and Moon. I'm sure there there's more because, boy, can I complain about just little things in the game. Uh, but I can also go on and on about how many great things there are in the game. And I don't 
uh, I want you guys to forget that all three of us really, really love this game. Uh, Micah and Irene, also big fans of the game, and I can't thank them enough for the time and the the what they had to give up to make those mini epi- episodes happen with me. And I do want to thank all of you guys for listening. Uh, our listener count has been uh, way up, probably because I put out a ton of episodes. But uh, if you do like what you're listening to, a little bit of house cleaning before we wrap up here. If you do like what you're listening to, uh, to uh, you can support us on Patreon. You don't need to, but if you do give us a dollar a month on Patreon, patreon.com slash it's super effective, you do get access to our Slack community where uh, it's just a bunch of amazing people talking, breeding, trading, battling, uh, playing. Let's ob- be clear. They're breeding Pokemon. They're not breeding with each other. <laughs> well, not with that attitude, Travis. <laughs> but uh, uh just a lot of awesome things happen in Slack. Will is there a lot. I am there a lot. Travis uh, also there. So for a dollar a month, you can join our Slack community. We do have other tiers like $4 a month gets you access to a gold only channel. $8 a month gets you access to gold and a crystal only channel. Uh, and $8 a month comes down to $2 per episode because we do four episodes a month. Uh, but yeah, uh, that exists. Patreon.com slash it's super effective. If you don't if you're in no financial situation to give us money, and I totally understand, I get that, uh, what would really help us out is if you leave us a review in iTunes, we are almost at 700 iTunes reviews, and I wanted, I would want to hit 700 before the end of the year. I think we're only like 30 or so short, so if you haven't done so already, uh, just jump over to iTunes, type in PKMNCast, or just type in It's Super Effective, uh, and leave us a review uh, that, would be, uh, that would be so, so, so helpful to how others can find the show and uh, and and listen to us bicker. But yeah, that's our show for you guys today. If you want to stay up to date with the podcast, at Pokemon Podcast on Twitter. Otherwise, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow Travis at the Travis W. Yes. You can follow Will. <laughs> you can follow Will at Wash in the Sink. Correct. And you can follow me on Twitter at Dragging a Lake. Otherwise, we'll be back next Monday, same time same place talk about some more pokemon sun and moon hopefully you guys are enjoying the game uh but otherwise this has been another episode of the pokemon podcast and we are super effective super alolas Do you like motorcycles, card games, explosions, board games, Mexican food, video games, music, cats, the weird and the unusual, wrestling? Go check out hashtag DrunkOnTacos over at DrunkOnTacos.com or on Facebook, Facebook.com slash DrunkOnTacos or even on Instagram at at sign because that's how Instagram works like Twitter. Uh, drunk on tacos. All the same thing. Drunk on tacos.com. If you like that stuff, they are a proud supporter of It's Super Effective and we thank them for their patronage.